Good morning. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 28, a long one. Uh, We've got to get at it here. A couple announcements. Potluck today after the service. Um, if you didn't bring any food, you can't come. So <laughs> go get something. Bring it back. A bag of chips. A little bag of chips. Doesn't matter. I'm kidding. You can, you can come. Um, David Spencer and Josh Mullins are going to be sharing about their upcoming uh, Africa trip. If you want to, that's what we'll be doing while we eat. Um, and so that'll be today, right after the service here, or close after the service. want to pray with people first, and then we'll get set up. July 15th, uh, at both services, uh, Evangeline Franzon from Samaritan's Purse. That's, um, uh, that's the group that does our, our gift packages and all that that we do at Christmas time. She's going to be coming and sharing with us about Operation Christmas Child. Uh, July 28th is our active shooter training uh, group that's coming in for all the churches in the area. We're going to be hosting that here. Um, so if you're on the security team, you guys are coming in. But anybody that's interested, if you guys are concealed carry and you do carry it here at church, we kind of like you to sign up for that if you would and register online. We don't mind that you concealed carry, but we want you to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem if anything bad should happen. So that's going to be July 28th, 8 o'clock to 4.30. It's all day. Lunch will be provided. It is $100. I know it's high, but that's their cost, not ours. Um, that's what they charge to have you come in. So you get a free sandwich for 100 bucks. So join us for that. All right, let's get at it. Uh, it's three pages, so it's a long one. I, I paid, I didn't pay Toby. I told Toby while we were on vacation last week, if he could get through as much of Deuteronomy as we could, I'd pay him 30 bucks. So he, he knocked out four chapters. So, yes. We love Deuteronomy, don't misunderstand me. But, you know, after a while, you kind of want to move on to another book. Um, so, that's, yeah, so now... I get back, and I got one gigantic chapter, so we're going to get through one, maybe. So I better, it's going to be long, I'm warning you. So if you have to go, it won't hurt my feelings at all. If you have to stand up and get out because you got plans or whatever, we'll mark your name down like we do, but uh, <laughs> feel free. Chapter 28 is a choice. God demonstrates his free will here for us, um, as we can either be obedient to God or be disobedient to God. It is completely our choice, whether we are or not. Um, he doesn't make us, and he lets us know in the first 14, chap- 14 verses um, of what it's like to be in uh, obedience to God, and he spends the next 54 verses telling us what it's like to not be obedient to God, and we need to take heart, and uh, we know there's forgiveness, now, I want to start off with this, we know there's forgiveness, and there's grace, and there's mercy, we know that, but it's never intended, that was never intended to be given to us so that we can, we can be licensed to sin, or licensed to be disobedient to God. He's always called us to be obedient to him, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Obedience is the mark of a Christian. And so bad things happen to good people, true. Um, Not every sickness, not every uh, calamity that comes upon you is because of sin in your life, but sometimes it is. And I'll give you two examples. We've got Job, for example, who calamity definitely came upon him, but it wasn't his fault, although he did get taught at the end of that book. Um, It wasn't his fault. It wasn't because of sin. God wanted to demonstrate that Job wouldn't curse him. On the other hand, um, we have the guy caught that couldn't get to the pool of Bethesda, couldn't get healed. And after that healing that took place, because he couldn't get down to the water, Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. We know that that had something probably to do with the way he was leading his life. And so both are true. The thing for us to know as Christians is, I want to examine my heart and be honest about it. I might be in rebellion against God. 
I might not be following him in, in, in closeness that he wants me to follow in. I could be reaping the benefits of choices I've made that were contrary to his will in my life. And we need to be honest. And that's what this is basically about. So verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And watch how he words this. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. You can't outrun them. I like that. You know, you worry about being overtaken by a criminal or overtaken by a, a dog, you know, that's chasing you or something like that. But God says, my blessings will catch you and they're going to bless you. I just like the way he words that. They'll come upon you. They'll overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. There is a blessing in obedience. He's not a dictator in the sense that I will bless you if, because I want you to follow me. I want you to be my minions. God is grace, God is mercy, he is love, he is forgiveness, all joy is in him, and to be in him and obedient to him is to have those things, that's the idea. I want you to be like me because being like me is awesome. That's the idea behind it. I'm not doing this because I want to see how many people I can get. It's not a competition. I want you because I love you to be obedient to me because it's a great life with me. Without me, it's not a great life. And so he tells him that. It'll just overtake you. It's just going to happen. The first thing he says that's going to be a blessing is you shall be blessed in the city and you shall be blessed in the country. It doesn't matter where you live. Um, in this day, they thought that the God of the valley, the God of the hills, the God of the grove, the God of the sea, that God's everywhere. But not with God, not with our God, not with the worshiping of Jesus Christ. He blesses you because you're in him and wherever you are, you're with him. It doesn't matter your location. It isn't the town that you're in. It isn't the city that you live in. It isn't even the country you live in. If you're with Christ, you're blessed. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, meaning your kids, and the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. In other words, life's going to bountifully multiply in your lives. and It's going to be a blessing to you. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. There's going to be provision. I'm going to make sure you never starve. You're going to be taken care of. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall be when you go out. Now, this is going to come in later on um, more as he talks about you're going to be cursed when you go in or cursed when you go out. It means the beginning and the end. It's all the way through. Um, you're going to be blessed. And as we go through these blessings and these wonderful things of being obedient to God, uh, I'm going to say this now, and I'll say it again later on. This can start any time in anybody's life, at any time. It takes years for God to untangle and weed out the seeds that we've planted in our own lives, and there are consequences for all the things we've done before we've come to Christ. But eventually, the longer you walk with God, the smoother it gets. And again, don't misunderstand me. Cancer comes. Um, bad things happen. That's not what I mean, but the joy and the peace that you have in your heart, it just continues to grow and grow the longer you walk with him. And God begins to untangle those knots, and he begins to straighten things out, and he begins to let you raise children the way you wished maybe you had been raised. And you get to see the fruit of that as the, you stay steadfast for all 18 to 25 years, depending on when they get out of your house kind of thing. And you get to see them take heart and begin to raise their kids that way. And you see another generation come following after the Lord. And all of a sudden you see in your life and you look back as sort of the beginning or the patriarch or the matriarch of your family walking in Christ, you begin to see the fruit of it. You see the beauty, the wake that it leaves behind in your life. 
These things begin to happen. It can happen any time. God had blessed the nation of Israel, and they had been obedient to him. And at one point, the queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon. And that's in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And she had heard about the blessings that God had bestowed. Now, I want you to notice something about this. In no way, shape, or form does Solomon ever apologize for anything that God's blessed them with. And there's a reason for that. Because to apologize for God's blessings in your life is to diminish God. It's not appropriate. I'm never going to look at something and say, yeah, I know that was really great, but, you know, you know there are problems with it too. Be careful about that. Um, for me to say something about that, the blessings in my life, is to almost take credit for it myself, as if uh, sheepishly, you know, I want to be humble about how awesome I am and my life is. No, I can boast about what God has done in my life. I can boast about what it's like to walk in obedience to God because there's fruit and a blessing, and you can have it too. We're called to that as Christians for the world to see. They're supposed to look at our lives like they're looking at Solomon's life and say, What is it about you? What is different about you than the rest of the world? We serve God. That's it. And hey, Queen of Sheba, if you serve the true and living God, guess what? It's transferable. That's what happens. So here's what it went down like. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. First of all, she wanted to know if it was true. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue or a huge entourage with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. This is tribute. They bring tribute. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart, not just tough questions, but things that were weighing her down. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It took her breath away. Unbelievable. What was unbelievable to her was not necessarily Solomon's wisdom, but the wisdom God had given him. Remember, he had asked for that. He could, he could ask for anything when he became king, and he asked for that one thing. He says, I just want to know how to lead my people, God. And God says, oh boy, that's the, right question. that's the right thing to ask for. I will do that. And I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. And he did. And so she, he's telling this queen of Sheba all about this. And no offense, but she may be a queen, but she's a little girl inside. Just like all of us. Little boys and little girls who want to know. We just want to know the truth. We just want to know how to follow God. We just want to live the life we're supposed to live. Just tell me what to do kind of thing. And we get these things in our mind. We can't get it out of our mind problems, knots all tied up, you don't know what to do, seek the Lord. Ask Him. He gives us answers. He always, he always will respond. If you seek wisdom, He will blow you away with the wisdom that He offers you. He never conceals that from us. Then she said to the king, it, is, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants. That stuck out to her. My servants aren't happy. but Your servants are happy to serve you. They stand before you continually, she says, to hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. Even she gives credit to God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. 
Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. She recognizes and gives credit to God. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. Not because she was supposed to, because he's Solomon. It was almost like, now I want to give this stuff to you. It's, it's weird. You're the richest guy I know. And here, I'm going to bring you tribute. And Solomon's like, you can if you want. Put it over in the corner. You know, he didn't really say that, but that's, I mean, he's got it. Therefore, never again came such an abundance of spices the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the ships of Haram, which brought the gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of Olmug wood. I don't know what that is. And precious stones from Ophir. You'll see it a lot here. The king made steps of the Olmug wood for the house of uh, the Lord and for the king's house. Also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such Olmug wood. So I'm kind of interested now. Nor has... Uh, the like been seen to this day. I mean, you can make steps out of it. You can make instruments out of it. It's some pretty good wood. Now, King Solomon gave Sheba, Queen of Sheba, all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went her own, to her own country, she and her servants. Guys, and she brought her home with her. I mean, we don't know the rest of the story, but this woman was greatly impacted by this encounter with a man who's following God and a nation whose God is the God of the universe. I want that in my life. This world needs to see that in all of our lives. I want them to be coming up to me and asking me, what, what is it? Why are you so joyful? Why are you always happy? Is it just luck? Are you just a lucky guy? No. I'm actually a C plus, C minus student. <laughs> That's who I am. I know who I am. All through high school. Dad, I got a C minus or a C plus. Probably done, son. You know, I got money for that. Dumb as a box of rocks when it comes. I just didn't care about it. But boy, I know who I am. And I know the blessings that come into a person's life are because they follow God. Um, and as soon as I stop following God and start doing my own thing and planning my own plans and following my own course, I'm in trouble. Maybe you find yourself there today. Maybe you've been distant from the Lord, but you've darkened the door today. Um, you want to draw close to him. But there's a promise in God's word to that. You've drawn close to God this morning. He will draw close to you. He'll give you all the wisdom you've asked. He'll begin to untie all the knots. He'll begin to undo all the decisions that you made without him. Now, that was his encounter. That was her encounter with the king. Now, verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. He doesn't apologize for defeating his enemies. God says, I don't want you to apologize. I want you to see what happens when you walk with me. Your enemies will go seven different ways running from you. That's exciting. You should be proud of that. That should be something you don't apologize for. That should be something they are like, yes, we've defeated our enemies. God is on our side. It's an exciting thing. He wanted that for them. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep his commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Now, he says that several times throughout these scriptures, if you keep, if you do. Uh, as a Christian, I always want to be aware, am I doing? I know I'm hearing and maybe I'm reading, but am I doing what God's asked me to do? Am I obedient to him? Do I bring him into every conversation? Do I bring him into every decision that needs to be made? Do I pray about things? Or did this one just need to be answered and I didn't take my time and it turned out badly and now I want God to fix it? God, can you fix these? Now, he does. 
But he also wants to teach us to not do that anymore. Don't do those things without talking to me first. Don't ask, and, or, don't, or don't ask, that's even worse, when you ask and you don't wait for an answer. Hey God, I threw that prayer up, now bless my efforts. You know, no, I'll give you an answer. Wait for me. If you do these things, this blessing is there for you. It's waiting for you. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. They don't have to be afraid. They could join, but they don't a lot of times. They're just terrified of you because there's nothing they could do to come against you because they know they're coming against your God. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure in heaven, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Now the Lord will make you head and not the tail. And you shall be above only and not be beneath if you heed the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the, of the words that I, which I command you to, uh, to this day, uh, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Just watch yourselves, he says. Stay where you're supposed to stay. There's a promise there. Stay where you're supposed to stay. Be, where, be with me. Be close to me. Don't see how far away you can get from me and still be saved. You know, Enjoy walking with me. I want you to. And later on, he's going to say that. Um, I wanted you to serve me with joy and gladness because of the abundance of everything. That's over in verse 47. We haven't got there yet. But he's going to say that to them. I want you to serve me because of, with joy and gladness of heart. Stay there. Stay close. Understand that. I want to read to you something out of a, a story from Hungary, uh, the foreign minister of Hungary. Uh, awesome, awesome statement. We have a special responsibility to protect persecuted Christians is the title of the story, is the title of the article anyway. And I'm just going to give you the quote he gave to the reporter. I'd love to do his accent because it's a really cool accent, Hungarian accent, but I won't torture you. We are a Christian country. We have to emphasize that because currently under the mainstream liberal media, if you say so, you must be very brave. That's why, very proudly, I want to say again that we are a Christian country, and that's why we have a special responsibility to protect our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world. If we don't protect them, who will protect them? If you don't speak in favor of them, who will speak in favor of them? For us, protecting Christian communities is of utmost importance. And he later on describes the actual ministry that they've developed there in their government, a specific office, a specific group of people, that's all they do. Search out and look for and listen to persecuted Christians all over the world and take care of them, whether they're their citizens or not. That's what they do. I'm pretty much frustrated with the approach in Europe whenever we come together, foreign ministers, and we negotiate about the situation in the Middle East, and I raise the issue of protecting Christian communities. The others always want to speak about protecting religious minorities. But you know my thoughts are with the Christian communities, and if it's on my mind, I'll say it. And this shows very well that the hypocrisy is still there, unfortunately. We send them money. We give them financial assistance to be able to get stronger where they have been living. We build schools. We take part in covering medical costs at, of their hospitals. We rebuild their torn-down houses. We give them scholarships. So we try to strengthen where they are. You know, they usually ask us not to encourage members of the Christian community to leave their homes. They ask us to help them stay where they have been living for centuries, basically, or even more, to be stronger there. That's why we would rather help them to get stronger in the places where they have been 
originally living. That was yesterday's article. This is great. It's popped up right on time, right? That's a country that's going to be blessed. There's no, no mistake about it. It, it. Not afraid to say it. We are a Christian nation, and this is what a Christian nation does. We help other Christians. We make sure that they're strong and taken care of. That's what we do. No apologies. No apologies for it. There's a blessing to walk with the Lord. Now, we turn a corner here as we get to verse 15, where God says, here's what it's like to not walk with me. Proverbs 14.34 tells us, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So as long as you're walking with God, this is what it looks like. Stop walking with God. Here's, here's the decline. And guys, it's an automatic decline. It's default. Without God in your life, without God's protection, without God with being obedient to God, the default is to decay. It's to fall apart. It's to have more knots. It's to have less assurance. It's to be more confused. That's what happens when you stop walking with God. And so he describes that to him in great detail. And some of it's pretty strong language, but well, here we go. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe it carefully, all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You won't be able to escape them either. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not walking with the Lord, and you want a fresh start, and you think you're going to move to another city and get that, you're sorely mistaken. It doesn't make any difference where you go. If you haven't changed your relationship with God, if you're not walking with Jesus Christ, you're going to have the same life there as you have here. It doesn't matter whether you're in the country or outside of the country, in the city or out of the city. It makes no difference. You're in trouble. A fresh start comes with Jesus Christ. It doesn't come with a change of geographic location. If you're a drug addict here and you think you can get away from it and move over there because you just know too many druggies here, know too many dealers, guess what? You will find drug dealers there. Or they'll find you because nothing's changed. It's a symptom. He said, cursed shall, you, shall your, be your basket and your kneading bowl. Provision, it won't be there. Where'd the money go? And Malachi describes that when you, when, you, when you withhold from the Lord, when you're being disobedient to God, there's like a bag of money full of holes. It just kind of disappears. Ever had that experience? Whole payday. You begin to write checks. Huh. Okay, there goes payday. Just mailed off payday to everybody else. What do we have left? 33 cents. You know, time to hit Sonic or whatever. Um, it just goes away. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land. The increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. They're, they're not a blessing. Your kids aren't a blessing. Um, they can be, but they're not. They're not walking with God. And they bring a curse upon you and upon your your life, it's, it's, it's a horrible... We're thinking about that on our vacation we had last week, how blessed we are to have two very godly young ladies join our family. Um, they're our daughter-in-laws. Um, just love the Lord. And what a blessing it is as we watch them support our sons and love our sons and our sons love them back. Um, they better. Um, and care for them. It's a beautiful thing to see this generation being raised and they're raising their kids to love the Lord also. And, it's funny. and we were thinking about Esau. Remember Esau? Esau said, and his wife said about their daughter-in-laws, they're a curse to us. They're just a curse to us. Not raised godly. Um, it's a curse. It's not a blessing. And also the increase. You're not going to have the blessing of uh, you know, multiplication. 
I have one cow and it just, it's sterile. You know, it won't produce any more uh, calves, you know, kind of thing. It's just, it, nothing's happening. Nothing's moving like it's supposed to. Cursed shall you be when you come in. And cursed shall you be when you go out. In other words, it's not going to get better over time. In the beginning and the end, it's still the same. Without a change of God, it doesn't change. And, and Jenny and I try to walk every day now. Um, and it's, it's working, thank goodness. <laughs> but... That was one thing we were talking about also on our walk yesterday, that um, it's exhausting trying to take care of the world's symptoms. That's all we're touching most of the time are the symptoms of a worldly problem. That the, 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 the core problem is they don't have Jesus. They don't know the Lord. They're not walking with Him. And so a lot of times you're trying to feed hungry kids, which is noble, there's nothing wrong with giving a cold glass of water to the least of these, of course. Don't misunderstand me. But it's exhausting taking care of kids that are in worldly homes because it doesn't ever end, nor will it, until the parents come to know Jesus Christ and begin to take care of their own kids like they're supposed to. Now, we're supposed to do it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm all for foster care. I'm all for all of that. Adoption, whatever you want to do, or just opening like Laura Street's doing. They're doing the second harvest thing, which is good. We were hoping they do it. They're closer to the pool. It's a great place for them to do it. They can just come right over and eat at their huge cafeteria. It's all set up. Kitchen's ready all the time. That was one of the requirements. We couldn't do it. But it's right there. And so glad to see that. But I'm here to tell you the truth. It ain't going away. It's always going to be there because it's a symptom. The most important thing we could ever do as Christians is to tell parents or kids about Jesus Christ and walking with him. That hits the issue. That takes them out of the world. That takes them out of that downward spiral, that generational thing that keeps going on, that kid after kid, family after family. You start walking with Jesus today, and things start changing. It's a blessing. The symptoms of this world will always be there. In fact, Jesus even said, that, I mean, you're going to have the poor with you always. But me, not much longer. <clears throat> And so when you find yourself dealing with all the symptoms of the world, and it is exhausting, understand that's what you're up against. You're up against people that don't walk with Christ. They don't know Jesus. They've refused the king. They're walking on their own paths. They're making their own decisions. There ain't no, there's no counseling in the world that can take care of that. doesn't matter how many psychologists you take them to, you're dealing with a sin issue. You're dealing with an obedience issue. You're not dealing, you're not dealing with the problem. You're dealing with symptoms. It's like aspirin. Headache's not gone. You just can't feel it anymore. The problem's still there. And so, those symptoms are always going to be there. Now, verse 20, The Lord will send on you, cursing, confusion and rebuke and all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. That's got to be the worst. You can't even find your way out of it. I don't have any answers. I don't have any solutions. And, and you know, in a way... As bad as that is, it's a blessing. When, when you run out of your, yourself, when we run out of our own ideas and our own solutions, we usually end up on our knees praying. And that's a great place to be because then you start getting wisdom. That's when God begins to speak to you. And that's when his solutions come into play and they work. Now it tells us in 1 Corinthians, Paul does, uh, chapter 14, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So I wonder sometimes, when I find myself in that confused place as a Christian in a church, I kind of sit back and say, okay, you're not the author of confusion. That means I'm writing this story right now. 
I back way off. This can happen in anything. It'd be dumb, something dumb like plumbing and water's still squirting out. No matter how many times I redo that joint, re-glue that joint, put it on there, I get frustrated and I try to persevere through this problem. It's like, you can persevere all you want, but I ain't in this. I don't want you doing this. As odd as that is, sometimes he has somebody else he wants doing that work. And I've tried to put my hand to it. And so I'm not supposed to be there. And so I just walk away from stuff like that. So water spraying everywhere. No, I shut the water off. But that could happen in ministry too. I get excited about what other people are doing at other churches. I say, hey, we could do that. Why don't we do that here? That's cool that they're doing over that. Let's do that here. And so we do. And it's a failure. It's a disaster. They're doing second harvest. We're going to do second harvest too. Nobody comes or, you know, whatever. And it's okay to be humble and say, you know, that was my idea, not God's. Back this truck up, you know. We're going to quit. Come on, we need to persevere through these trials. We can persevere all you want, but I don't think God's in this at all. And we're going to be persevering forever with zero fruit. Let's just do something different. Let's do what he wants to do. It's okay that they're doing that, and they're doing that, and they're doing that. Praise God. How come we don't go on any missions trips anymore? Guys, we pray about that. God, show us where you want us to go, and we'll go. Open a door for us to go, and we'll go. And that's happened for everything we've ever done. If you're desperate and desiring, guys, there's mission trips leaving Maryville all the time. You just got to go with a different group of believers, and it's okay. You know, it's all right to go there. They're going to Ecuador, but they're filling the blank, you know. Well, bring a suit and tie with you if you're going with them. Just kidding. That was a, that was a low blow. They say the same about me. Well, you better bring your T-shirt. <laughs> totally we're at church. <laughs> Whatever. Go with them. And you know what? You'll have a ball. You'll have a blast. And God will do things and expand, and it'll be fantastic. So go. We're still praying about it. It's not like we hate missions. We hate the world. We're going to stay right here. No, we're open to that. He just doesn't open doors. I remember the last one we prayed about, we were going to go do uh, package up boxes over in uh, Denver. Uh, for something. And uh, turns out they called us a week before we were supposed to go and said, we don't need you anymore. We got it all done. Huh. Closed door. We didn't need to persevere through that. We just accepted it. Okay, fine. We didn't go. No big deal, you know. Anyway, um, when there's confusion, I just stop. And I encourage you to stop also and, and, and see what your motivation was for that decision. Why is this so hard? Why is this not? not that there aren't things you do need to persevere through? Don't miss anything, but it does cause me to pause and ask, what's wrong with this? James three sixteen tells me what can be wrong with it. For where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And so that's where that ministry comes in. If I envy another church and the ministry there, oh, they had that awesome thing the other day. I want to do that awesome thing too. That's envy. God didn't say, he didn't show us in his word, didn't speak to a brother or sister and give us a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or direction at all. We just thought, that's cool, let's do it too. It doesn't work like that. Self-seeking, I want to exalt my name. Oh, they got in the paper because of that. I want to be in the paper, you know, kind of thing. We should do something cool in the paper. Well, you'll be in the paper, all right. What an utter disaster. Calvary tries to do another stupid ministry, you know, kind of thing. You know? (laughs) Let them. And so, even as believers, we've got to watch out for that confusion and then receive the rebuke. It's okay. I didn't say that. You, you, were, you were presumptuous, you know. Um, and we, I can be, and we all can be sometimes presumptuous in our walk with Jesus. 
He just wants us to slow down and wait for him. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until it has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. Now, it gets a little dark here for the rest of the chapter, so happy Sunday to you. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, and it gets worse than fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, so there's like levels, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. I thought that was funny. I, don't, I know I shouldn't laugh, but and watch out for the mildew. You know, But if anybody's ever had black mold in their basement, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? You know, I got it. And by the way, bleach doesn't work. That's not the solution. It's got to be peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide is what kills the black mold. Just an FYI for you there. Um, our house is for sale, by the way. I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a, like, yeah, right. If you've got asthma, this is a great house for you. Um, mildew. Watch out for mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze. And the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. That's a rock and a hard place right there. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. There's not much you can do about rain. You can try the dance, but there's no such thing as a rain dance. They don't exist. Uh, you can dance around all you want. If it rains, it's because it was going to anyway. Um, but when God withholds these things from you and you see it, it's just, a, uh, it's just a wake-up call. Let's turn around. Let's go back to where we were. The last time we remember God in our lives, where was that? And get back there and start from there. I'd rather go 10 steps back than keep sliding backwards, you know, and just start over and take a different path and stay close to him. I think it's interesting that our 1930s followed the 1920s. It's kind of hard to dispute that. The roaring 20s with opulence and indulgences abounding in our country and Christianity not doing so well at the time. And then you got the depression of the 30s and the Dust Bowl. It's interesting to me. Because as Christians, and we were a Christian nation then, and should be a Christian nation now, as a Christian nation, um, there is grace and mercy, even in the 20s and the 30s. And there is forgiveness, but there are also consequences. And there is our Father in heaven who wants us to pay attention to him. Don't leave me. Don't forsake me. I don't want to evict you. I don't want to to leave. I don't want you to be away from me. I love you as my kids, right? And so he'll bring things into our lives that cause us to get on our knees. And I'm glad for that. And I want that. If you haven't been chastened by God, you got to wonder if you're his, you know? He only chastens those he loves. And those who are his. The Lord will uh, cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. That's very dark, I know. But God has a solution for that. In Psalm 146.8, he describes this about himself also. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. It doesn't have to be like that in your life. It doesn't have to be like that in my life. I can turn to the Lord and he opens my eyes again from being blind. Isaiah 42, 16. I will bring the blind by a, by a way they did not know. God's got solutions that you haven't thought of. Find yourself in a corner, you're looking around, you're like, I don't know how to get out of here. I don't know what to do. I, I mean, I don't have any good options left. Seek the Lord. God always has plan C. Okay, God, I'm praying over plan A and plan B. Which is it? It's C. 
There is no C. No, no, watch. Oh, there's that opening. There's that avenue. There's that way out that's way better than A or B. God's always got a solution for us. There's always a way out. He says, I'll do that. I'll lead them by paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, the crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. I'm not going to start you off on the path and let you go continually blind. I'm going to lead you all the way. Now, here's what Jesus said. I want to throw this in here too. Because sometimes we get the idea that Jesus just wants to bless everybody and do everything for everybody, and he doesn't. And that's a fact. That's scriptural. Here's what I want to see you. There were some Pharisees and some followers that were challenging him on what he was doing with his disciples. And in Matthew 15, 14, Jesus' answer to that, to the Pharisees, was, let them alone. Don't even answer. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That's some tough love there. Hey, they don't want to know. They don't want to follow. They want to challenge our direction. They don't have to go our direction. They don't have to do what we're doing. Nobody has to follow Jesus. Nobody has to fall in love with him. Nobody has to be obedient to him. Do it your own way. But here's the, he's fair enough to give us the warning. I am grace. I am mercy. I am love. I am forgiveness. I am joy. I am peace. And if you don't want to go that direction, you get the opposite. The antithesis of me. Feel free. I'm never going to make you do it. He follows up with Mark chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciple, how is it that he eats with drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And not us is the idea. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a touch of sarcasm there. All of us are sinners. He told us so. We all need Jesus. Everybody needs him, including these Pharisees. But he says to them, I guess if you're well, you don't need me. I guess if you're righteous, you have no need of my righteousness. And he lets them go. Now, a lot of these Pharisees and a lot of the priests get saved. Some tough love. Well, where is he going? Well, he says we don't need him. Well, we kind of do. You know? Well, I know you do. But you've got to be humble, and you can't be worried about who you're sitting next to when you're at this meal, because everybody needs to eat this meal. You all need to be a part of this. But Jesus wasn't afraid to let him go. Look, we don't have time to minister to those that don't want to be ministered to. I'll, I'll preach open-air preaching all you want, but a lot of people didn't want to hear it to begin with. There is a thing called casting pearls before swines, and he calls us not to do that. I've got a lot of people that need help. I've got a lot of people that know they need help. And I'd be glad to minister to anybody that needs help, like Solomon did for Sheba. But he didn't go on a world tour. Solomon's world tour of wisdom, you know, with a tent and everything. Come, everybody get in here. No, no, no. If you need it, it's right here. And she did. And she came and she was blessed by it. And Christ sits there as well, waiting. I'm here. You notice the father didn't go chase the prodigal. The father stayed where he's supposed to be. It was the prodigal's responsibility to return to the father, come back. But he had to eat pig slop first before he came back. That's the way it goes. It's okay. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm not being gracious enough. I'm not being merciful enough. Some people you snatch out of the fire. Some people you save delicately and gently, he tells us, but some people get snatched out of the fire. Anyway. So I will strike you with madness, blindness, and confusion, but it doesn't have to be like that. I can heal you. We just read those scriptures. And you shall grope as noonday, as a blind man gropes in darkness, and you shall prosper in your ways. 
not prosper in your way, excuse me. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually. No one shall save you. There is no other salvation other than through Jesus Christ. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. That's rough. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you. That's stolen or confiscated, which. And shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. In other words, they're yours, but they get taken away from you. In other words, without God, justice is removed from your life. Even if you're really, really wronged, and it's really not your fault, justice escapes you because you're not with the God of the universe. It's withheld. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day, and there shall be no strength in your hand. That's if you walk away from God. If, that's, if you're not living a life of obedience, if you're not following Jesus, that's going to happen. You're going to lose your kids. I was at a place recently. Um, I'm not going to tell you where because you may know these people or may, know, may have experienced the same thing. There was a birthday party here. We weren't a part of the party. We were witness to the party, or I was anyway. And there was this party uh, for a little boy, and there were probably 20 relatives around him, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmas, and grandpas. Everybody were there, right? And as this boy, it looked kind of cute, birthday, but you could really tell they were not believers at all. I mean, the language and everything that was going on was new. I mean, nobody knows the condition of the heart, but they weren't living it that day. Let's put it that way. Um, so there's this little boy with the packages in front of him, so pretty good birthday party. Cake, good. Around him, while he's opening the presents, there are three separate arguments going on, fights. One between a husband and a wife of his family, one between a grandma and his sister, or an aunt, it would have been his aunt, I guess, grandma and aunt, and um, there was a mom with a teenage boy, just like cats and dogs, yelling and screaming at each other, and that's what he got to experience for birthday while he opened his presents, and he was unfazed by it, it was just normal. This is what my family does, this is who we are. And he grows up thinking that's what life is. That's what family is. That's what life is without Christ. That's what a family looks like without the Lord. There's all this fighting. There's all this thing. Now, I understand all of us have interesting backgrounds. Well, you do. But, and I know we've got relatives and we have situations like that. But I want to tell you about another story. And I get emotional. Sorry. I watched a guy, a little, a little well, a teenager, ask a, a teenage girl out. This, I, I, I guess I'm an eavesdropper or something, but there they were. <laughs> he, was, he was trying to ask this girl out, and he had asked her to go to a movie, and I'm looking, and I'm watching the situation, doing my own thing, watching him ask. And, uh, and he, she says, well, i got to go now, because my grandma thinks it takes like four hours to get ready for a movie. You know, he's, oh, I don't want you to go now. He's handsy. You know, he's one of those boys, you know, likes to get his hands all over the girls and everything. And I'm watching her going, ditch him. Don't do it. Don't do it. I didn't say anything, but I wanted to. And so... Oh, my grandma wants me to go. And he goes, oh, your grandma. You know, he starts bad-mouthing. He just met this girl. Just starts bad-mouthing his, his grandma. And uh, it's meant to be encouraging. I want you to be encouraged. She had, a, she had an epiphany at that point. Her eyes were open, who this kid was. And she stood up for her grandma. She goes, my grandma's kind of the only sane one in my family. I was like, Yes. Dunk, dunk him in the water right now. Dunk him in the water. But now you know where I was at. Um, <laughs> just push. I'll help you. Um, get rid of this kid. <laughs> red flag, you know, red flag. Wolf, wolf, wolf. Run, run, run. 
And he goes, oh, yeah, I know, man, I'm the same way, I know that. And she goes, yeah, but what about your dad? My dad's kind of schizophrenic. I just never know what kind of mood he's going to be in. And my mom, well, she doesn't like me. (laughs) Here's the encouraging part, if there is any to that. Grandmas, they're watching you. You're the only sane one in their life. As believing grandmothers, as believing grandfathers, as believing uncles, as believing aunts, as believing brothers and sisters, whatever you are, a believer, they're watching you and you may be the only sane one in their life. Be encouraged. They see it. They know it. It's affecting them. Um, I don't know when they're going to see it. I mean, I wish she saw it then, but she didn't. She went with her grandma and agreed with them and went on this date with this bozo. Um, and there's a lot of bozos out there. But there, <laughs> Can I get a witness? That's Chuck from Calvary Chapel uh, down in St. Joe over there. He's supposed to be in the pulpit, but they must have fired him or something. I don't know what happened. <laughs> On vacation up here? Yeah, staycation. Gotcha. Um, they're watching you. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Don't become weary in well-doing. They're watching you. And I may be 50 years old when they remember you and give their heart to Jesus Christ and turn away from their life. But they're watching you. You are a witness. Anyway, hang in there, everybody. Composing. Hold on. Now you know why it takes so long to get through this. Um, um, yeah, down here. It looks like 33. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall... Be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight of your eyes, which your eyes see. It's going to drive you crazy to see this happening. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations where the Lord will drive you. You're going to become like a, oh yeah, you're a, you're a Cretan, you know, you're a lazy Cretan. Um, that was something that was said back then. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes of the, for the worms that shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territories, but... You shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all the trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall, become down, you shall come down lower and lower. And he shall lend to you, and you shall, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. So everything's reversed. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Very important verse here. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. In other words, it's supposed to be a given that when the abundance of everything is acknowledged as a blessing from God, joy and gladness of heart should be why we serve and how we serve God. It's automatic. 
And if he abundantly blesses us and bestows all this on us and sees that it's just taken for granted, I don't really care about God, I don't, wanna, I don't want that old battle, you know, fine, then you serve your enemy. And he's not going to take care of you. You won't have any food, you're not going to have any water, you're not going to have any clothes, you're not going to have anything. And he's going to put a yoke of iron on you. God's never put a yoke on us. All he wants us is to serve him willingly because he's so great. And the fact that we can't see that, that's the problem. How great is your God? Is he great? You know, do you acknowledge that in your prayer life? Before you go asking for stuff and you're, oh, God, fix this, do that, help me with this, help me with that. Just take some time, maybe a whole week. And all you're going to do in prayer is just say, you know what? Thank you for everything. I'm going to leave it at that. You're amazing. You're so great. If you never gave me anything the rest of my life, I've been blessed way beyond I deserve. Thank you. Leave all these problems. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be forever with you in heaven. This is awesome. Spend time in prayer that way. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. Now he begins to talk about the captivity that they're going to have, the sieges that will take place. Swift as an eagle, they're going to be fast. A nation whose language you do not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, no sure favor to the young. They just kill them off. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain, nor new wine, nor oil, or the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks, until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you. This, is a, this is, gets really bad. They shall besiege you at all your gates uh, until you are fortified. Um, and, and, and sorry, and, until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land, they shall besiege you at all your gates. Now, the gates is an interesting thing. I know it literally means the guy, gates to the city, but it also is a place of government. And you'll see that in uh, Proverbs 31, 23, where the Proverbs 31 woman, her husband is known at the gates. And you also see that in Ruth 4. That's where Boaz decides to take care of the situation with Ruth at the gates. It's, it's a government place. It's where you did business. It's where things were decided. They'll take over there if you're not walking with me, if you're not watching out. They'll besiege you. A siege is ugly. They cut off the entire city from any kind of food going in, any kind of food going out. Or whatever you have at that siege, that's all you get. You better make it last because when it runs out, cannibalism begins. And that's what we're going to talk about here. So I'm warning you. We're going to talk about cannibalism here in this siege. You shall eat the fruit of your own body. Those are your kids. The flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. Now, that that's not bad enough, it gets worse from there. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile towards his brother, towards his wife of his bosom, and towards the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. Here's how he's going to be hostile towards them in this siege. So that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat. That, that's how bad it gets. He's not even going to share his kids with his family as he eats them, okay? Letting that settle in, because maybe we can't identify with that. It's kind of hard for us to figure out how you could get to that place in your life. But I tell you what, I've seen it many, many times. I've seen godly men, godly women who were walking with Jesus or at least started to, and all of a sudden, a switch is flipped. And they are, they're not even the same person anymore. They've left their families, they've left their wives, they've left their kids behind. And it's like, what happened to you? That's exactly what it's like. So much selfishness, so much self-absorbed living has caused them to care about n nobody else but their own happiness. And they take care of themselves, and that's it. They look out for number one, me. That's it. That happens more often. We probably can all think of somebody. But guys, here's the thing. Any one of us can fall into that. 
It's not just a them problem. That's a, that's a, that's a us problem without Christ. I'm a disaster without Jesus in my life. I'm a walking time bomb without Christ. Because my default is sin. My default is disobedience. My default is self. I'll care about myself more than any of you all without Christ. It's only because of Jesus that I care about anybody else. And so we see that here. He's not even going to share his kids with them. Gross. Now he doesn't leave the ladies out. Because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all the gates. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not even venture to set her sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity. She wears shoes everywhere. She couldn't, oh, oh, it hurts, you know. She's that kind of woman. Beautiful woman, probably. That's the idea. Just a beautiful heart, heart of gold. Beautiful mom, beautiful wife, amazing. But without God, she's going to change. Will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all the gates. Ever seen a drug addict go down this road? I bet we could all think of somebody, or at least seen somebody, seen a story like that. It's not the same person. And we know it's the drugs. We know it's the decisions that they've made. And it's, it's, it's like, I don't even recognize you. Their, their features change. Their physical features change. Everything changes about them. So we we don't understand a siege, but we can certainly understand this. Verse 58, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law, is anybody, we have that in our head yet? We really got to watch our walk with Jesus. We really got to make sure we're solid with him. Not how far away we can get like I started. I'm kind of on the edge. I can still see him though, you know. But in his shadow, at his feet, in the dust of his feet, I want to be that close to Christ because I don't even come close to this stuff. If you do not carefully observe all the words of the law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt. They're not meant for you. They're meant for Egypt. They're meant for the world of which you were afraid. And they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed? You understand that every sexually transmitted disease is not even a concern for the Christian girl? It's not even a concern. If a, husband, if a son and a daughter follow the Lord all the days of their life, it's not even an issue. They're in a zero risk category. Zero risk for every sexually transmitted disease out there. It's only through disobedience that that enters into it. Walk with the Lord. Walk with Him. Stay close to Him. Don't even find yourself traveling a little bit far from him. Don't even keep him close, close, close. You shall be left, uh, let's see, where am I? Thank you. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. That isn't his heart. That isn't what he wants, but that's what he'll do. He didn't want that for our country. He brought us back to our knees. We began to pray. And I believe we've turned another corner. For decades, we've been praying for God to change this country from the direction it was headed. And we've changed. We've turned a corner. I don't know how long. You know, some people have a struggle with me supporting our president. I don't struggle with it at all, supporting our president. At all. 
No, he's not our Savior. Christ is our Savior, but he is a judge. He's as good as Samson ever was. And if God raised him up, that's who we follow. And he's turned a corner. Now, I pray that he falls madly in love with Jesus Christ. That is my heart for the man. I want that. I do. But we're not going in the direction we were. We've changed course, and it's a good thing. Um, it's a positive thing. Um, I want to go further than that. I'm not content with that by any means. But I, I'm glad. I've been praying for decades for this, and it's good. Um, and you see these things happening. We've got a man, whatever the motivation, makes no difference. We've got another Supreme Court choice now. That's huge if we get both. If we get both, we've got a conservative group. We can get Roe versus Wade overturned. It's a big deal that this has happened. Um, be encouraged in that, you know. Um, anyway, we'll see. So pray for him, right? And pray for people to start supporting him. Um, Diana, or Diane, you were, where are you? There you are. You got to go up, were you in North Dakota? Is that where you were? But you got to stand in line. How long were you in line? Three hours to go get in there, and then they didn't get in to go see at the rally up in North Dakota. Um, but it was worth it, wasn't it, being in line? There you go. And how many people were left outside? Yeah, it was huge. I know. Um, well, that's, yeah, whose fault was that? Whose fault was that? Okay, I'm putting her on the spot. I love it. Here's the idea. I'm not a sycophant. I don't, I don't, I'll follow anybody that's following after God until they're not. When they stop following after God, I'm done with them. That's it. But as long as they're following the direction that God wants us to go in, absolutely. 100%. Until they stop. And then we're done. Um, and so we see that. And that's good. It's a good thing. It's a thing. That it's a, we've changed course. Um, I told you this was going to be long. We're about done. Um, then the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of this happened to the nation of Israel, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. You're going to serve these other gods. And among these nations you shall find no rest, no sh nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Um, your life shall hang in doubt before you, and shall, uh, uh, you shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that we're morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart, because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, back to the world in ships. You run into your own solutions. There's nothing else you can do but sell yourself back to the world. I'm going to take you back in ships to the world. Look what happens. You shall never see it again. That's what I said about it, God says. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. There's not even help there. I could close there. Happy Sunday. You can close your Bibles, but I'll read Psalm 1 to you. This is the abbreviated version of Deuteronomy 28. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you need to change course this morning, change course. 
If you need to get closer to Jesus today, get closer. Don't slip away. You've been warned. These Bible studies don't pop up for, for just no apparent reason. We've been told, look out, you're going in the wrong way. Or, well done. You stay in those verses 1 through 14, awesome, good for you. You're part of the other 54, better move. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, for some this morning, they need to change course, and they want to pray right now. Jesus, I want to be, uh, I want to be a follower of yours. I want to be your disciple. I want to walk hard after you. I want to be saved. I know my sins and my decisions have separated me from you. I know that, but I, I want you to forgive me, please. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for me so that I don't have to deal with my decisions. I don't have to go to hell. Um, I don't have to live without you, that you've made a way for me, and I accept that way this morning. Uh, so Lord, come into my heart. I want to be born again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to make right decisions now, to bring you into every decision and to pray and to wait for answers, to not be presumptuous, to follow hard after you, to be close to you, God. And uh, I pray that you begin to untangle the knots, um, uh, start pulling the weeds of all the seed that I've sown in my life that's just choking out fruit. I pray that you begin to straighten my life out. I thank you for that. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.